can't really sing. <laughs> la 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 yeah. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. Pete Kennedy joined by my New York sports expert, my baseball expert. You like you like that? Oh yeah. Alec Argento in the house. Been a minute since you've been on the podcast, and what better time to have you here than when the stove ah, is heating up, my man. Too hot, too hot. And the Mets and the Yankees, yes, it's because we're in New York probably, but I think in all of the baseball rumors outside of Bryce Harper stuff, the Mets and the Yankees are entrenched in this hot stove right now. So, Am I wrong? Is it is it Brian Cashman who's making all these big waves at the winter meetings? No. Who is it? Some guy, my, my Brody. <laughs> Love him. My bro, yeah. So Brody Van Wagenham, the new GM of the Mets, if you're not familiar, um, is out here doing stuff because he's a former CAA agent, right? Not CIA, which would be pretty cool <laughs> if the if the Mets had a former CIA agent. Uh, but Brody Van Wagenham's doing stuff. A lot of things are happening in baseball. And you and I, before the podcast started, we're talking about how last year's MLB hot stove was almost laughable. Teams were just waiting for this summer. I mean. Sorry, I'm used to saying off-season NBA summer. So this winter, the winter meetings in the baseball. And stuff is moving. There's a lot of moving parts. There's trade talks. There's big-name free agents on the market right now, uh, and all of which seem to be linked to New York in some way or another. Um, and that includes the pitchers, some of who got signed already, Patrick Corbin. Obviously, Paxton's now a Yankee. But you got Bryce Harper, you got Manny Machado, and you had this JT Real Muto thing hanging over both the Yankees and the Mets, and even though, you know, all season last year, we were on this podcast, everybody was on the radio, saying the Mets and Yankees don't trade together. But this time, Alec, and this is where I want to start, it seems like this might actually have to be a thing for the Mets to make the move they want, which is very different. The Mets and Yankees might be forced by the hands of Derek Jeter to <laughs> trade with one another, and it's crazy. So just walk us through what the stove is uh, heating up about when it comes to the Mets and the Yankees so far. Well, Brody Van Wagenen wants JT Realmuto. So do a lot of other teams. He wants them. He wants him more than anyone else. For what reason? I don't know why. I don't know why they don't just sign Yasmani Grandal for forty million dollars or what it is. But Jeter and the Marlins over there do not like the Mets prospects. Do not like what they have to offer. I think it's because when Jeter went over there, he brought a lot of Yankees personnel. They know the guys out of the Yankee system. They want the guys out of the Yankee system because they know what they're going to be when they go when 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 they grow up, <laughs> uh, and they have all the leverage. People are people are saying, "Oh, this is just Jeter doing what he did with the Stanton thing again." But I read it before. Miami doesn't owe the Mets any favors at all, nor the Yankees. No, it makes if anything, the Yankees owe the Marlins a favor. It makes so much sense for the for the Marlins to do what they're doing. To get Syndergaard out of the division, right? Uh, to get top prospects, probably getting get an Andujar, which I have my own reservations about, but you know, depends on what you're, what that whole. We'll get into it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but I just, I think that this could be real. I thought that the Degrom thing should have happened at the trade deadline, uh, and it didn't because of the reservations of Alderson and everything like that. But Wagner is not a traditional GM. That's why I mentioned that he was a CAA agent before this. He is doing things in a win now, which is not what you've ever seen out of the Mets before. He's shaking it up, and he's challenging what they've done and trying to bring the Mets into the big market team that they should be. 
And also, just to do some house cleaning here, house house cleaning, housekeeping, um, just in case people don't know, Brody Van Wagenen is not just a former agent in the MLB. He is the former agent of Jacob deGrom, of Noah Syndergaard. So, two, and, and Cano, too, isn't he? Now, wasn't Cano a Boris guy? No, Cano went to Rock Nation eventually, but I think right. he was... Maybe. I'm not even sure. Maybe he was Diaz. He was one of those it's, people it's that... It's possible. Was, so, so, Brody Van Wagenen has a lot of hands in these baskets and he he knows Syndergaard about as any as well as anybody knows Syndergaard in baseball maybe better than the Mets know him and yeah, you tell your agent everything when you're a professional athlete you have too. to like yeah. cuz they they put their neck out for you yeah. so this guy knows Syndergaard he knows DeGrom and there's definitely something to be said about him putting Syndergaard on the trading block like does that mean anything positive or negative about Syndergaard, I don't know. Can you explain why it's Syndergaard of all people, though? I don't understand. I, I still don't understand why that's the first person they threw out there. Syndergaard's the one with the most team control, right? Get Three rid more of, years. If you get rid of DeGrom, what is he at? he's still waiting on a contract right now, right? Mm-hmm. You can get a king's ransom for this guy. He's already he's about to be thirty, right? You can get whatever you want for this guy. He can rebuild your farm system in a day. This would also not be the first time the Mets traded a a, a fresh Cy Young winner. Mm-hmm. They did R. it with R. A. Dickey, who obviously is not Jacob Degrom, and who they get for R. A. Dickey? Noah Syndergaard mm-hmm. and uh, the the great Travis Darno, who was actually the main piece of that trade, by the way, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. But Zach Wheeler comes into mix too because you might say we love Syndergaard. He's he could be dominant. He was Brody Van Wagenen's guy. Why is Zach Wheeler not the one they're looking to move? Maybe he doesn't get as much, but also maybe you don't get anything for Zach Wheeler. Maybe they have more faith in Zach Wheeler's health moving forward because Noah Syndergaard, as we've spoken about in the past over and over again, almost got too big. He almost got too ripped up where the injury started coming through. He has been pitching to his standard. Uh, when he's out there, DeGrom was the guy last year. He was the best pitcher in baseball, many believe. He won the Cy Young for a reason with freaking 13 wins, right? So we definitely have to talk about what it means for Noah Syndergaard's former agent to put his name out there, number one. Number two, on the Yankee front, we need to talk about Andujar because to me and to you, I know we agree on this front, we think this guy's a future all-star, and he's 23 years old. The thing that's sneaky here is Manny Machado is one of those guys who's been around longer than his age would, would kind of lead you on. He came up so early. He's only 26 years old. Yeah. So if you do trade Andujar, right, it's not like you're bringing back a 32-year-old or a 36-year-old like Robinson Cano. You're bringing back a 26-year-old in Manny Machado who is probably entering his power prime. But do you love that assumption, though? Like, Do you think it's a certainty? Because it was a certainty that we were getting Patrick Corbin and we didn't get Patrick Corbin. You know what I mean? So like, if you trade Andujar before you sign Machado, you might be shit out of luck. Because then you've showed your hand. You, you've showed exactly what you're doing, and then you're bent over a barrel, and you have to do whatever Machado asks. Well, yeah, also, I mean, the reason that they didn't sign Corbin, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that sixth year. They didn't want to give him six. But who knows if Machado wants that tenth year, you know, and maybe, maybe another team's willing to do it. And I'm sure there are other teams who are willing to do it. I don't know that there are. I think, I, I think actually... Him and him and Harper are facing a similar issue right now, which is there are teams that are interested in him, and both of them, but not necessarily at what they're asking. Um, I don't think that anybody's going to do the tenth year, and if they do, it, it might be an incredibly front loaded contract, or there might be an opt out or something like that midway through, similar to like the David Price uh, deal or something like that. Um, but 
I don't think that they're, it's a guarantee that they're getting the 10-year deal, which honestly isn't the worst thing ever. I mean, they're going to be like 35, 36 by the time it's over. Uh, but I don't think any team is willing to do that because it's, it's never worked out those long-term contracts. All right, so we're going to get into a lot of this stuff. Another guy, now, I just want to, I kind of want to bring up a bunch of the stuff we're going to talk about. Obviously, there's a ton to talk about with the with the Mets and Yankees. Another guy I want to just preface here before we really dive deep is JT Realmuto. So, he's a guy who's clearly very high on the Mets priority list here and is the real reason they're looking to make this move at all, right? My question to you as baseball guy, is JT Realmuto the type of game changer that is going to change the identity of a team like the Mets. Like, he is one of the better hitting catchers, but he's not a big power hitter. I mean, he had 17 he, home runs last year. Home runs, yeah, 17 like home runs last year, 11 the year before that, in approximately 140 games, which means he was healthy and he's out there as much as catchers are out there. He's a he's more of a, a gap-to-gap type of guy. And he actually, if I, correct me if wrong, he batted leadoff for points for the Marlins. Yeah, the Marlins lineup was garbage last year. So Absolutely true. So my question to you is, is he the type of guy worth trading someone like Noah Syndergaard for? Like, is he the type of guy who could change the I, identity of a lineup? I, I would understand why the Mets are going after him as hard as they are because he makes your pitching staff that much better. He's one of the best defensive catchers in the league. When, uh, you, you know, there's definitely questions around uh, Syndergaard, but even if assume you keep Syndergaard, right? You have Syndergaard, Degrom, and everybody, and Wheeler, and Mats, and everybody like that. Uh, he makes your pitchers better, right? Your, your strong suit for the Mets for years has been your pitching, not your hitting. <sighs> your hitting's been horrible. No, it's been so really bad. And, and I, I've always hated. I know. I know. Common knowledge is pitching wins championships. Pitching doesn't win you games in the regular season as much as you think it does. Look at the ground last year. You need an offense. And the way that baseball is these days, you need an offense. So you sacrifice that. You, I mean, you still have DeGrom. You still have Wheeler. That's a really good one, too. I don't think Wheeler's nearly as good as his second half was. I mean, his career his career would say otherwise. But um, Syndergaard does, I guess, make sense to move. But Real Muto does make your team better significantly because it's – the Mets catching uh, situation has been a lot like the Yankees' first base situation outside of Luke Voigt for the past couple, you know, the past couple months of the season and Greg Bird for a bit. It's been a hole for the Yankees and it's been a hole for the Mets, a catcher between Darno, Plowacki for years. And you're getting no, negative production out of both of them or whoever you put in there for years. It's not, if you were getting an average catcher at that position, it would be an incredible step up for them. So to get, arguably the best catcher in the game right now, it makes your team a lot better. Because it makes, it makes what are you, 10 to 15 pitches on your staff? Yeah. It makes that, them all better. Right, and that is very important over the course of 140 games, which I can't imagine the last time the Mets got 140 games out of one catcher. I mean, maybe Darno's first year. I'd have to even go check the stats. I'll check that as we go. But you mentioned how pitching doesn't quite win as many games as you may say, during, or not you, as people may say in the regular season, you need to score to win. That also brings me to football because I want to talk about, we want to talk about that later. A lot of people say defense wins championships. You know, it's such an old school thing to say. A lot of people still believe it. And there's definitely some value in the fact that defense wins championships. Sure, right? But as Michael Irvin went on a couple different shows this week saying, yeah, defense is all great and all, but if you stop a team 95% of the time and they score seven points in football, if you can't score, you lose. 
So you can have an amazing defense and one slip up. If your offense is trash, you can lose. Happened to the Giants two years ago. It happened to the Giants two years ago. It, hap- it happened to the Packers' Aaron Rodgers' entire career. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers' record in the playoffs, if uh, the Packers give up less than like 21 points, is insanely good. If they give up over 21 points, they- it's not good. Mm-hmm. It- it's pretty simple uh, in that standard. When the Giants went to the playoffs that year, <clears throat> they were winning games by winning field by hitting field goals every every like it was they were barely scraping by. They shouldn't have won most of those games. And honestly, they were only really scoring a lot of points for two reasons. Turnovers. It was turnovers from the defense. The defense was creating points and Odell Beckham breaking giant plays. Mm-hmm. So that's the football thing. And we're going to talk about the Giants and what it means for them to be playing semi-meaningful football. We're going to even throw out some Jets maybe just to compare where they're at and where they were, you know, week three of the season when Sam Darnold had a good game or two. <laughs> and, you know, people were then jumping, myself included, to say Giants should have took that quarterback, Giants should have took that quarterback. But the way Saquon Barkley is playing, it's very challenging to to now rationalize that that was a wrong pick. And I, I may have to admit I was wrong. I don't know no, where I'm at yet. No. But we're, we're, we're going to talk about it. But let's stick to baseball for another moment here. Another guy I want to talk about, also, just to mention here, uh, John Lucas Duffy, NBA outsider himself, is going to join us in a little bit to talk oh, some we hoops. Get, we got Duffy? Yeah, we got some Duffy coming on later. Oh, what a get. Right? What a get. I, I know. I, 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 talked to, I talked to his agent. Uh, he actually was also used to be represented by Brody Van Wagenen. Can I ask you something? Yeah. How much are we paying? You know, <laughs> about not. Oh, he lives in Jersey, so like seven fifty, six fifty. State income tax in Jersey. Yeah, oh, yeah. So you know, and if he lived in New York, we have to pay him like nine fifty. So <laughs> uh, we're saving, we're saving a couple of bucks here. But uh, Duffy's gonna come on later. We're gonna talk a little bit about the Knicks and some NBA stuff as well. Uh, but a guy, I want to talk to you about because we're talking about JT Romuto and what he can possibly mean to change the infrastructure of the Mets. I want to talk about a guy who had a horrible year last year, as we all know, Gary Sanchez. So if you go on Twitter, if you listen to callers on the radio, you may hear some people, some Yankee fans, who don't like Gary Sanchez, who call him lazy, who call him a cancer. And his production did not help his case last year, right? And his defense well, they weren't saying this. did not help his case last year. They weren't saying year. this before last year. Absolutely. I hope not, at least. <laughs> Is there real reason to have doubt in Gary Sanchez, or is it overblown, and do you expect him to come back to normal or back to being a very productive offensive player again? I expect him, I, 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 but I think that it, it depends on his con- his mental constitution, right? Because if he comes in and he doesn't see instant success, last year was all a mental game for him. He, he got it in his head, and he couldn't work himself out of that, that hole that he dug. But if he doesn't see like instant success in April, he might have a harder year. But I, I, you can't give up on him. And Brian Cashman has shown no interest in giving up on him. So all these people that say that is, is just—it's just outrageous. I mean, he argued if if he was, if you take out last year, you, you would say he's the best catcher in baseball, right? So one year changes on on a guy who's two years in the league. It's tough for me to. I mean, I don't agree with it. No, most, I know most of our friends or most of the people I talk to think it's crazy but these people do exist like these people truly exist out there that don't believe Gary Sanchez is the answer at catcher for well, the Yankees we, we were talking about it today I mean and I say this all the time uh, as a proud Yankee fan myself Yankee fans are so dumb they're like the dumbest people in the world <laughs> and uh I like to I, and you, you you often tell me this but I like to think I'm a rational somewhat rational thinking Yankee fan well let me let me stop you there because the reason I like co- having you on when we talk a New York sports and when we talk baseball you do a really great job at being equally rational and equally irrational sometimes. <laughs> like, you come out 
with it depends on other take. <laughs> right. It, you come out with takes that are strong, and that's what you need, right? You need some strong takes on certain people, especially the ones who do have gray area in their production or in their careers. You need to come out with a with a with a side. You need to pick a side. But there is the the point where you do better than a lot of other Yankee fans, where you do realize that the winning ways of the Yankees hasn't existed quite as much over the past twenty years. Those were well, if you say twenty, that counts the last two years of the nineties. So maybe let's say fifteen and oh nine. And well, oh nine is only one, right? It's only one. That's not the Yankee standard because even though Girardi always had a winning record, you know if they don't win this year, this would be the first decade that they they haven't won since like the eighties. Exactly. So that's part of my point there. The Red Sox have become more of the standard in the AL East and in the AL in general. More championships in the 21st yeah. century. Um, so to the Yankee standard, the winning hasn't quite been there, right? But there's still all the signs pointing to the Yankees and Brian Cashman being one of the best-run organizations in the league. And there's a reason why Derek Jeter and the Marlins are dragging the Yankees into the trade talks for the Mets, Right. It's not because, oh, they're both New York teams and they know each other well. It's because the Yankees have pieces that the Marlins want and the Mets do not. Yeah, what, what do the Mets have that the Marlins like people keep Anything saying, that the Mets have, they just trade it to Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> people keep saying that to me. It's uh, Not to me. I, I'm listening, I was listening to sports radio all day. I didn't do anything at work. Uh, uh, like, how, like, why do we need to involve the Yankees? It, because the Marlins are telling you that you need to. So they're not telling you we need to give you JT Real Muto. Another team will get them, and they'll get what they want out of them. But if you want it that high, the people that they want the most are on the Yankees. The Yankees have a need in starting pitching. You have the starting pitching. It makes all the sense in the world. And from a business standpoint, too, just a sports business standpoint, um, you're you're trading one of the best pitchers in your division out of the league, in, uh, out of the into the uh, into the American League. It makes all the sense in the world, right? And, and you know, it, it, you can afford. Andrew Har uh, and the Mets are the, uh, you know, I think the reason that the Yankees are, are a lot more willing to give up Andrew Har than the Mets are to give up Thor is that you there's the assumption with the Yankees that they'll spend the money to get a, to get Machado right? to, to replace yeah which you don't have that with the Mets right but I think that maybe with Brody yeah I mean, not they don't seem to be doing anything free agency right they just don't I mean they're they're paying now Cano UNSS for this they. You know, by not trading Degrom, you assume that means they're going to pay Degrom. Because if you don't trade him and you don't pay him, what are you doing? Using him for one more year, or two more years, whatever it is. Uh, so that becomes a little bit convoluted there. But let's talk about JT Ramuto real quick again. Sure. The statistics for MLB catchers, right? And I think you and I had this conversation on this podcast. Maybe I don't know if it was last year before the preseason for the baseball last year, spring training time. I I made the argument that catchers offensively just don't make an impact in the league. They don't make the impact that you know we may think that they do in the league. And I don't think it's a deep offensive position. No, it's not. But that's why you're getting a catcher that, that does produce is why it's so important. And according to War, and looking at the traditional statistics as well, JT Ramudo was probably the best catcher in the league last year. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, War is weighted by the position, so catchers right. get more. Right, so he had a, a 4.3 war. The second best war was Yasmani Grandal out of catchers with a 3.3. Who's on a free agent market. Exactly. So he was a full point better in war than any other catcher in the league. And in the top 10, they are all in the twos. They're all in the twos. So, it's, I mean, you can believe in war. You could not believe in war. If you have, if you have it pulled up, do, what did Gary Sanchez put up last year? As far as war or just numbers? Yeah, just as far as war. 1.2. Which 
with the season he had, batting what he bat one eighty or something like that, he still put up a win a win above replacement with a 180, 186 on, uh, average, a two sixty two. Uh, two ninety one. Sorry, two ninety one on base percentage, and how many home runs? Eighteen home runs. And how many? How much? He was did still. He miss? And how much? Time and he missed miss? half a season almost. He was still a top twenty catcher in the league, which doesn't sound like much, but when you miss that much time <laughs> and you can still end up being about an average catcher in the league, yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty legitimate. With, with the uh, with the uh, ceiling of of hitting three hundred and forty home runs, and like you know, <laughs> he had the the year from hell last year. Yeah, he had the year from hell with injuries. And with production, and he still ended up being about average. By the way, you know who I see getting moved in this Real Muto trade if it happens? Who's that? Starling Castro goes back to the Yankees. Because mm. they're going to want to. Who's going to hate that move? No, well, because they're going to want to clear his money. They didn't want his money, just work. the Yankees needed that for them to offset the cost for Stanton. Um, they don't want that. Was he making $14 million or something like that? Yeah. The Yankees need an infielder because Didi's going to be out all year. Right. Not all year, but for a good portion yeah. of the year. Uh, even if you get uh, Machado, you're still going to need an infielder. That would be a perfect marriage. And he loved New York. He loved playing here. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, Sonny Gray. <laughs> who, who? by the way, tell me why Sonny Gray and, and Greg Bird are getting as much interest as they are. Because people know that they're talented? Greg Bird. Okay, Greg Bird was more of the question. I'm let's, sorry. <laughs> let, let's, all right, let's talk about Greg Bird here for a second. Like, we're, we're bouncing around all these players who, sorry, who bring interest. Hot stove. The hot. stove is hot. We're moving quick. This is what it is when it comes to this season. And, and this hot stove did not exist last year. It was a lukewarm stove last year. We were using because they were waiting for this season. We were using a freaking hot plate last year, and now <laughs> we got all burners on max this year with the hot stove. And we haven't even talked about well, Bryce Harper yet. Funny? Oh, yeah, my coworker uh, worked from home today because he was uh, getting a microwave oven installation. What a microwave oven installation! <laughs> you just plug it in, dude. What <laughs> you just plug it in? Oh, I mean, they make some fancy ass <laughs> microwaves you now. Just plug the microwave. In. <laughs> well, good for that guy. You finessed the hell out of your job. Um, so Greg Bird is another guy in the Gary Sanchez. Uh, realm right now right mm-hmm. disappointing year he showed that he has talent i don't think eh, i don't even he's think not in the no, uh, well he's in the in the sense where he was touted as a important part of the future for a team he showed signs two years ago in the playoffs and then truly disappointed to the point where he didn't even become an impactful player on the team that won 100 games at all in fact he was a negative for most of the year mm-hmm. where does he land in the yankees future is he somebody you want to see in the lineup next year? No. <laughs> do you want to ship him out of here? Mm-hmm. So what do you expect to be his his value? If you if you guys have no faith in him, what's his value? You you give me a new button for my code, I'm good to go. Nothing. Nothing. But prospect X. No. Player to be named later who doesn't come. Give me no. cash considerations of like a dollar fifty. Oh my god. I so hate him. You're so all much. out on Greg Barry. Oh my god. And it's funny, when we first started doing the pod together, I remember saying he was gonna be an all star. And it's like how 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 much he, he changed in my mind. But Sonny Gray, on the other hand, he uh, he makes sense for a lot of teams because his road ERA wasn't bad last year. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. But it was good. Yeah, it was good. But it was it was at Yankee Stadium, right? He right. could not pitch at Yankee Stadium. He could pitch everywhere else, could not pitch at Yankee Stadium. You go to a team that has good pitching coach and a pitcher friendly park. You go to Petco Field. You go you go to the Padres who have a lot of interest in them. You go to the Reds or something like that. I think he would be good for the Mets. I know Mets fans are going to hate that because they they, they know what's We saw him up close struggle. Yeah, but that's the City Field is not Yankee Stadium. It's the field helps him when it comes to the, the Mets Stadium where they play baseball mm-hmm. games. But 
when it comes to the spotlight, if that is something that truly affects no spotlight in the Mets, come on, dude. There is more pressure on the in being in New York on the Mets than there is being in San Diego. No, no there's not. Yes, there is. Are you serious? You're going to really come at me and say okay, you're right. okay. that <laughs> seems like San Diego and the Reds don't have a pressure or a media or a following dude, you were that is Jason as intense. Vargas last year. That doesn't happen on the Yankees. It's not the same. What I don't think that's I don't think, I think it's apples and oranges. But but that you're saying it's it's not apples and oranges. You're saying that it's a New York market, so, so it you, has to be the same. So you, it's not just the same. just because the Mets haven't spent or produced or uh, had the hype like the Yankees have had over the our entire lifetime, there's been plenty of players who have had success elsewhere who went to the Mets and struggled, a la Jason Bay. So it's not like the Mets New well, York pressure Jason doesn't Bay exist. Just, Jason Bay only did well in. Pittsburgh, he did shitty on the Red Sox too, didn't he? Was that bef- that was before the Mets or after yeah, the Mets? Yeah, right before the Mets. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, I I think there there is a pressure to play in New York, even if it's, even if it's for the Mets. Outside so of Jason Bay, can you? Think I don't of know. Anyone? I don't know if I don't know if that is a fair thing to just toss up to say. Sonny Gray couldn't pitch in, in the Bronx, but he can pitch in the Queens. In the in the Queens. <laughs> I I think I think it would be a good marriage for the. I think that would be a good throw in. To make everyone feel a little bit better, and it, it's a he's a he's a lottery ticket. He's like playing roulette. He's not even a lottery ticket. He's like fifty fifty. He could that's good odds, best best odds in the house. He could turn out really good, or he won't. But you're not really giving up anything for him. He's a throw in, and yeah, he, could, he but, could end up being what he was in Oakland. So as a Mets fan, and I say he's coming in this trade, we get Real Muto and Sonny Gray. Like, is Real Muto enough to to just be packaged with with uh, Sonny Gray? Mm-mm. So what what else would the Mets need to get? What else would do they oh, expect? Uh, for, uh, if this trade happens, if this three-way trade that's been all over Twitter where Syndergaard goes to the Yankees and the Marlins got a bunch of prospects including including for uh, Floreal. Yeah, no, 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 I actually I'm Is fine. Real Muto I, I, and Sonny Gray enough? I misunderstood. Yeah, I think that's a good trade for them. I think people the problem is and somebody else was saying this today that normally the expectation for a trade logically speaking is that I help you, you help me, right? Any trade with the Yankees and the Mets, the optics are that I want to win it, right? I want to win that trade. I want to know that we we won that trade, which doesn't make sense, and that's why trades never get done. And really, it's coming from the Wilpons. The Wilpons don't want to do it because uh, Brody would do it in a, in a heartbeat. I don't think it's his issue at all. He, he's the one who wants to change that. And, and don't tell me it can't have him because it's been happening all over the league the past two years. Interdivision trades, um, cross down trades, a la Javi Vasquez to uh, to uh, to what's it called? Not yeah, is it Javi Vasquez? The, uh, not Javi Vasquez. The 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 guy on on the White Sox that went to the, to the Cubs. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Javi Baez? Ha- no. Wait, what? Pitcher? Yeah, the pitcher. Running from the White Sox to the Cubs? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I was I was actually looking up stats. I wasn't really listening to you. To be to be quite honest, I, I was paying zero attention to what you were saying, which is a horrible thing to do on a podcast where it's just you and I. But I was looking up stats. Jose Quintana. <laughs> oh, there you go. He was a guy who was like, you know, touted last year. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, who's going to get Jose Quintana? The Yankees were in, in the running. And what did he do? He didn't do anything for him. He did all right. I think Baseball's did. a strange game. Yeah. Where, you know, when you talk about basketball, you talk about football, players typically m- more are what they are. You know, in football, there are systems that really help people. Amari Cooper is a prime example of in Oakland. He lost his confidence. Drew Brees. The offense was trash. Well, Brees was good in San Diego. He's great in New Orleans. He's great in New Orleans. But yes, correct. But 
in baseball, you have a guy like Gary Sanchez who can be one of the best hitters in baseball and then come out, come back the next year and bat 180. And if he bats 270 and hits 40 home runs this year, are you going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened? No. Baseball is strange in that sense. Where yeah. You can have Zach Greinke. There's also not. You can have Zach Greinke be a Cy Young uh-huh. and then be a, a train wreck. Uh-huh. And it's absolutely strange Greinke in that is sense. Greinke the perfect person to use for that argument. <laughs> like Zach Greinke, how many Cy Youngs does he have? He has more than. He has yeah. at least one. He has two. He might have two. And he's also had seasons where he's been bad, where he has been not good. It's very, very strange in that sense. I mean, that's the Yan- the Yankees have had that a million times. Sonny Gray, Carl Pavano, mm. Mm. Javi Vasquez, <laughs> twice. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about the Mets and Yankees, the trade thing, because we mentioned it right off the open, and we didn't get back to it yet. So, do reservations come to fruition again about the Mets and Yankees trading together? Because last year we were so confident, and all the smart people in baseball were saying, there's no way that the Mets and Yankees are making a trade. And all the hosts across New York, whether it be on the fan ESPN radio, they get callers, you know, I think if we send DeGrom, you know, we'll give him Duhar and freaking Justice Sheffield and we'll be good to go and whatever, that right? And people go, sure, you know, in, in theory that trade makes sense, but the Mets and Yankees never trade together. But this, Wh- is, why, this isn't a Mets and Yankees trade. Why do the Marlins have the ability to force them to trade each, with each other? Because they ha- the Mets are showing their hand. They want Marlins don't have to do anything that the Mets want. They don't. They have they. It doesn't matter to them. They want the. Be, they're doing something smart. They want the best deal for the guy that they're shopping. Right. They have all the leverage in the world. He's a, he's an all star catcher. He's arguably the best pe- catcher. The Mets are not the only team in, uh, that wants him right now. The Mets want him the most. Doesn't mean they have the best things to give them. They will go where they can get their best option. It's not a Mets and Yankees trade. It's a Mets Yankees Marlins trade. The Marlins and the intermediary. The Mets would love to not do this without the Yankees, but if they have to do it with the Yankees, they, they may should. have no choice. Exactly, because because the, Mar- the Marlins don't want Syndergaard, and apparently, well, why would they? They want right. all these prospects to come up at the same time. Word on the street is that Ahmed Rosario gets tossed around. He's not enough to get the Marlins to budge, uh, and really, that's all the Mets have, right? Like that's all. Dom that's Smith, a- like you know, exactly. <laughs> Dom Smith, huh? Who's, who's the guy? Jimenez, you have, you guys have the the pitcher. The well, prospect? Yeah, the prospect. I don't even know, man. The Mets prospects are. I've been hearing his name around a lot. I uh, that was I was texting you to, today, and I was like, uh, I was I was doing out a hypothetical trade before names started getting released, and I was like, oh, you throw in this person, this, and I guess the Mets top prospect. I don't know who it is. <laughs> well, the the Mets top prospect was uh, Kalinic, and he just got traded to Seattle. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. And and Rosario was the number two prospect in baseball, uh, or number three prospect in baseball uh, before he. Didn't really do anything in the majors. He I don't think you give up on him. He didn't do much, there. right? But he's not a guy you give up on. No. He's a guy that you Mets let keep might. playing, and he showed That'd signs of pop. He showed signs of gap-to-gap, a uh, little power, um, but, but, and his feeling is absolutely legitimate. But what, what Brody seems to want is not players that are going to co- contribute in the future. He wants players that contribute now. So I don't know. It doesn't. Maybe that doesn't fit his narrative. Maybe it is easy to let people like that go. Can I propose a, tra- a crazy trade to you? Sure. All right, so it, it's still it's still in what Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> yeah, it still includes the Mets, Yankees, and, and Marlins here. So tell me who says no to this. The Yankees get Noah Syndergaard and JT Ramuda. The Mets get Gary Sanchez and Miguel Andujar, and then the Marlins get Floreal and prospect A B C. You, you, I don't think you, the Yankees give up Andujar and Floreal. That's too much. So and well, and and up- flopping Gary Sanchez for JT Ramuda. 
you, the Yankees get Real Mudo? The Yankees get Real Mudo and Syndergaard. The, the, Mets, the get? Mets get Sanchez and Duhar. No. And then the Marlins get Floreal. I'd rather have Sanchez than Real Mudo. So that's how confident you are. You're confident that you wouldn't take back the quote-unquote best catch in the league, which you just called him no, I 30 seconds ago. Last, as of last year, he was the best catcher in the league. The year before that, there was a better catcher in the league. It was Gary Sanchez. Right. You know what I mean? Like that. Gary Sanchez is too young for um, for you to give up on him just yet, right? So was Miguel and Duhar. And my point on, I want to say this about Miguel and Duhar, he went from hot to cold so freaking quickly that it blows my mind. He didn't win American League Rookie of the Year, and Yankee fans were up in arms. They were freaking out. They were so upset that Shohei Otani, a guy who did something that we've almost never seen oh, in the modern in that. the modern era of baseball, he was twice. pitching at a great freaking clip For before all he five got games hurt. He pitched. He was pitching fantastically. For all he five pitched games more he than pitched. that. I'm going to pull up his stats. Uh, he and didn't then play he, half the season. He, he he didn't pitch for half the season. He and then came, he became a hitter and was a no, fantastic hitter. He was he wasn't as good of a hitter as Andujar was. But if you count in the fact that he was pitching at such, but a, I don't count that because he didn't do it for long enough. But he still did it for a good portion of time. But he tore a ligament. And he didn't do it. He did, But he did it for a portion. So anyway, what? My point. My, to my point. Yankee fans so were... So Luis Sessa used to be a shortstop Yankee and then he became a pitcher. Were, Does that mean he, he, he gets that too because he did two different positions? Yankee fans were up in arms that he, he, he didn't win the American League Rookie of the Year. And just a month or... What was it? Two months later... Two months later, Yankee fans are like, yeah, well, Miguel and Duhar can't play defense, and we're going to get Machado, so get him, get him out of here. How does that happen so quickly? Where this guy has insane gap-to-gap power. He's raking doubles all over the field. He was arguably the Yankees' best hitter last year. He was. He was their best I, I hitter. I don't think it's arguable. So, so how did this hot-to-cold thing happen so freaking quickly? It blows my mind. I also... Th- all right, so here's the thing. You... you a, if you're going to trade uh, Andujar, the Yankees don't have to trade with the Mets because if you're going to trade Andujar, you can get Kluber or, or Bauer, right? Who are arguably just as good as as, as Syndergaard is, if yeah. not better. If maybe. not more consistent, at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Healthier. And less injury prone, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, crap, I had another I had another point. I forgot it. Screw it. Forgot it. Anyway, Shohei Otani pitched 10 games last year. He pitched 10 games, had an ERA of a uh, number that is escaping my eyeballs right now he pitched 50 innings it's not a lot of innings oh 50 innings not a lot of innings 10 starts 10 starts he had a whip of 1.1 i can't see his era on the screen it's not it's not here i guess but it was low he was was four and two oh it was a three three one era 10 starts that's that's good that's a good number through 10 starts the, the league catches up to rookies Rookies always get caught up to. He would have gotten shelled at the end of the season. That's what happens with. And rookies. then he had three hundred and sixty. Look at, at Mike bats. Fulmer. Remember Mike Fulmer, rookie of the year, who Man. only won it because Gary Sanchez didn't play enough games. Mike Fulmer fell apart at the end of the season. Hasn't done anything since. That's what happens with rookie pitchers. It doesn't. Ca- I'm sorry. I don't want to do this. No, no, go off. I don't care. It just pisses me off that he didn't. He didn't pitch. He pitched a couple innings. And then Shohei had three hundred and sixty at bats, which is more at bats than Gary Sanchez. And it, it's about. It's give or take the amount of bats that a catcher who plays all season gets about right three sixty. Andrew Hart was break. You you talk about that you haven't seen anything uh, like like what Shohei Otani did. You haven't seen anything like what Andrew Hart did because he was breaking records with his extra base hits. He had like seventy nine extra base hits last year. It's ridiculous. And what he had twenty seven home runs. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he had 27 home runs. I think he had like 40 doubles and like three triples or something like that. And Shohei Otani had 22 home runs, 60 RBIs in 300. And then do our 95 R- RBIs in a lot more at bats. Yeah. Yeah. Who's a lot more consistent? Whatever. I'm not gonna. I don't want to argue about the rookie of the year anymore. Hold, hold on. One more thing about Andrew Hart too. It's not necessarily about the rookie of the year, but with people, how people are so down on him. He wasn't supposed to play last year. He was supposed to come up this year. His defense was never supposed to be ready last year. We knew that going in. Then he happened to produce on uh, when when it came to hitting. First of all, you don't. Your contract isn't based off your feeling. Your contract is based off your hitting. Hitting wins contracts. You don't see a Danny Hecaveria um, making a uh, hundred, you know, uh, three hundred million dollar ten ten year deal. You get paid for hitting in this league. Yeah, no, it's true, and uh, Jabari Parker would agree because he's <laughs> that's basketball. But Jabari Parker, uh, after he got paid by the Bulls this year, said in his press conference that he does not get paid for defense. <laughs> he said it out loud. But it, it's it's true that I mean, like there's a place for defensive specialists. Don't get me wrong, and it's great if you have someone who can do both. Machado can do both. Right. He plays Gold Glove shortstop and, and Platinum Glove third base. Insane third baseman. Yeah. Which you know, I, but he's not. And that's another thing. You want to bring Machado in. He's not going to be playing third base for you. He wants to play shortstop. So so then you put what? You put Torres at third, and then Didi comes back. You put him at second. That doesn't that doesn't sound right. Now you're changing the whole dynamic of the team. So are you anti get rid of Andujar even if it means Machado's coming? I think n- no. If you're getting rid of Andujar, you have to get Machado. I'd like to get Machado no matter what. <laughs> I don't want to give up anyone. And uh, I mean, this is all this is reactionary. This is reactionary to the Yankees not beating the Red Sox, right? Judge was out for two months of the season last mm-hmm. year. Uh, Sanchez had the worst year of his career. Stanton was getting acclimated to New York. And was forced Sever- to be the offense for a huge chunk of the season. Severino fell apart at the second half of the season after the, one of the best flashes I've ever seen for the first half. These things, you can't ex- you can't count on them happening again. That doesn't happen next year. The Yankees had a lot of like a lot of uh, ill will go towards them. Y'all won 100 games. And that's what I'm saying. That like You already got Paxton. That makes the lineup, uh, the, the rotation, a lot, lot, lot better. You can still get a really good. You can bring back J.A. Happ, who had a great uh, half of the season with us. And if he becomes now, say Severino's good again, as he expected, he should be better. Uh, Paxton's a number two. Jay Happ is a very good number three. And I didn't even mention Masahiro Tanaka, who he is arguably, really last year. arguably the best pitcher, most consistent pitcher on the team. Yeah, and CC had a great year too. And CC, and if CC's your number five, God damn it! Yeah, that's CC, that's damn good. He, he like pitched four innings CC a game. I don't a, care. CC had a great year last year. You you added this. The the one thing that they have to and they will address is their bullpen because they lost Robertson and and there's a potential for losing Batances and uh, uh, and Chapman next year. I don't. It won't happen, but there's a there's a chance for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to they need to sign Robertson again, which they should. I think they will. Right. Um. But they they're going to be better next season, which is scary, because last unless everything happens next year, which was freaks freak incidents, Aaron Judge didn't tear a ligament or anything. He didn't have a hamstring injury. He had a freak accident. The pitch broke his wrist. Right. You know what I mean? Hit like, by a pitch. Yeah. Very, very different than a, a a nagging hammy. Well, that's another thing too about uh, about Syndergaard. I want I, I didn't realize this. I just assumed because he's always hurt. Um, he's like Stanton, you know, like everyone says like, oh, Stanton's injury, but he's never played a full season except for last year and like one other year. Um, 
all of the all of Syndergaard's injuries and Stanton too are non-shoulder or elbow injuries. It's like he like his fingernail was split and like I, I think he broke his hand or something like that. It's like none of it is things that will affect him going forward. And I always said this too because I think it's crazy that they allow him to throw that power slider as much as he does. Right, he um, relied on it a lot. Yeah, but um, it actually hasn't affected him at all, and there seems to be no damage to it at all. Um, but I digress. <laughs> So you mentioned something about the Yankees and how all this hardcore reaction is all rooted in not beating the Red Sox last year. The Red Sox don't seem to be slowing down, right? But the Yankees weren't far off. We actually all thought, and you and I sat here on this podcast thinking maybe one or two games into that series, the Yankees had this. The last game that they lost, they were, they, they were coming back in the ninth and they lost by a run. I mean, like they, they, then they won one game and they stole it away. I mean, the Yankees weren't far off. If they beat the Red Sox, it was, I said this the entire year. It was either the Yankees or the Red Sox were winning that, that World Series last year. And very else. few faith in, in the Dodgers. So it's all reactionary, right? Another thing that's reactionary is recent news about Manny Machado, that if he joins a team, you know, he basically pulled a Jabari Parker and said, yeah, the whole hustle thing, Charlie Hustle, or that's, that's, not my, that's not my bag. You know, Manny Machado said it to us live, his own voice, his own words, on camera, on microphone. Yeah, that whole hustle thing, that's not really me. I don't really do that. Now, that can drive Yankee fans, like, insane. That doesn't fly in, in, in New York. Absolutely. So, does that reserve you from wanting Machado at all, or do you think that's a bunch of hooey and not worth complaining about, if he's that talented? I think it depends on the contract with Machado. I think you give him a similar deal that J.D. Martinez got. Super front-loaded. There's an opt out in there, uh, you know, for security. But like you, you front load the sh- the, the shit out of it. Um, give him forty million dollars a year for the first three four years, and then you back end it with like fifteen million dollars a year because you can live with eating that. You know, they they've lived with eating that with a Rod, and they've lived with eating that with Ellsbury. You know, Ellsbury is more. Um, Oof. Yes. Ellsbury. But, but I, I don't black hole. I don't think I, you know. There's certain people. There's certain people that are motivated by money, and certain people that aren't motivated by money. I think Machado is motivated by money. Um, to a degree, I think Bryce Harper is as well, but I don't think that as much Machado uh, as, as Machado is. I think Machado wants his contract. He'll play for the first two or three years. Winning's never really been his bag. He doesn't really care to win. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I fully agree with that because, I mean, I heard Buck Walter speak very kindly of Manny Machado even after he left Baltimore. Um, and he, he went to a team that made it to the World Series last year, and if he wasn't there... Do the Dodgers make it? Do, you know, they the Dodgers were kind of reeling for a good portion of that year, and Manny Machado didn't just go there and light the world on fire by any means, but he went there and became a part of a team that made it to the World Series. Yeah, but that team was that team was very the oh, playoffs regardless. Oh, absolutely, and they made it to the World Series the year and, before, so it's not like they, they were a slouch. But and, and they were the best team in the National League last year without him because the National League stunk last year. Yeah, National League did stink last year. And where is the National League getting better? This brings us to the last at least one of the last things I want to talk about. Uh, before Duffy joins us in a few minutes, is Bryce Harper, and after that maybe we're we'll not talking Giants. Well, no, oh, we, uh, we'll talk. We actually we got, we got a couple minutes until Duffy joins us, so we'll talk Giants. <laughs> we'll, let's start moving this baseball thing along here. What's your What's your read on Bryce Harper? I mean, it's been a little bit of a tough uh, thing. There's Philly rumors. There is like a random like tea leaves Mets rumor, but I don't think it's too much to read into. That That's how you know Brody's doing his thing. Right. If he signs him. There's the, the tea leaves are there. You know, he bought the apartment in Long Island City where DeGrom lives. Where, I didn't know that. Yeah, he bought, an apart, he bought a place in Long Island City, which is like where Mets players live because it's right there. And Brody's Amazon's trying to work like, at Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Bryce Harper's trying to come Jeff Bezos. Um, but well, By the way, what, screw Amazon as a Jet employee. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know. Um, 
does Bryce like what is Bryce Harper's move? Is it like the Phillies are getting brought up because they have money and they have they young have, they talent? Have Fifty billion dollars less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they just signed Andrew, Andrew McCutcheon, but there's also reports that the Phillies front office are willing to be even a little stupid with their money. So, what's your read on Bryce? Where let's do let's do the NBA free agent thing here, where you know Anthony Davis is two years away from a free agency, but people are already saying, "Oh, Boston, L.A., blah 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 blah." What is your just common sense theory on Bryce Harper and where he'll end up? Where he will or where he should? Both, either one. I think where he should is two places. I think. Either staying with the Nats, which doesn't seem like it's an option, but I mean they just signed Corbin. They 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 have the money. They're. Uh, the, I don't think the Nationals want Bryce Harper back that bad. I don't know that that's true. I, I don't see. I don't think that anything is pointed to that. I don't think he wants to go there. Uh, I think they would love to have him back. <laughs> He's been the face of their franchise for seven, eight years now, or I mean, whatever it is. Before um, he came up, he was the face of their franchise. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember reading about him in Strasburg when before they were even drafted. I mean, they, I knew who they were. I knew I, th- these guys were they they were going to be shakers, um, phenoms. Yeah, and uh, I I think that him going there. I also think if Brody if Brody has full control, I think he should go to the Mets. I think that would be like. So you think that's a should? You think that's a good move for for Bryce Harper? If he gets the money, then yeah, he should go where he gets the money. I mean, he deserves. I it. mean, we obviously have an immense amount of New York bias here, so I want to check that right no, now. I, it's we a, do. No, we have. We have. You think I have a bias towards the Mets? We have a New York bias. I don't have a bias towards the Mets. I want to see them fail. We have a. No matter how we skin it, there's a New York bias here. We're not. Bias. We're not considering. Um, the the Houston Astros as a landing spot for Bryce Harper because because the Astros aren't in our freaking backyard no, because there's a limited pool of teams that can afford these players. They, so who are some of the other teams that can afford Bryce Harper? The Phillies, the Phillies, the Braves, the White Sox. Apparently, the White Sox have tons of money. Yeah, but, but like, but the, can you imagine Bryce Harper signing with the White no, Sox? I, Absolutely, I can't. Not. I don't think that there's big lights. He wants to go where the big lights are. Mm-hmm. Um, Do- as he should. Do- Dodgers don't. He's, have, a, he's a big lights guy. Dodgers don't have the money. Red Sox don't have the money. Yankees don't want him. Don't need him. That's the same thing. I mean, it, uh, I, although, I, I mean, if you can get him to play first base and just cycle around the players, and, and, and like if you have players that could just cycle around the, the diamond in the outfield, I, I think that's fine. I, I wouldn't mind him being my first baseman. Uh, I don't think he would have a hard time figuring it out. I mean, he was a pitcher in, in high school. Pretty athletic guy. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he can figure it out. Um what teams? What teams can afford him and and have a need? He, and by the way, they're they're not going to get paid what they think they're going to get paid. Both no, of them. No, they're not it, getting those four hundred million dollars. It, it is like that weird year where a lot of GMs have now learned from the mistakes of many teams over the it's years. Not even that of these it's extended set, contracts. It's, it's not even that to me. It's setting the precedent for the next for the next batch of free agents, right? It's like okay, if 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 Harper gets this and Machado gets this, and what's Arenado going to get in twenty twenty, right? The, you as soon as you set that precedent, as soon as you give that A Rod contract out, that Granky contract out, or whatever, then the next batch expects that or more. Yeah, and I mean it, it means something when even a team like the Yankees are now they're not operating like a small market team, but they are picking up principles. Which I'm sick of. of. I'm the, sick of that. No, they're picking up principles of teams that don't want to spend a lot of money, and they are caring about how much money they're spending. No, which, which when is the old, the old Yankees used to just be like, "Yeah, money, money, money." Which is bullshit. No, because what we were what we were led to believe was that they were saving all this money to get under the luxury tax so they could reset so that when the 2018 free agency market came, they could spend 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 like crazy and get both the Machados and and the Harpers of, of the free agency class, right? That's what we were told was the plan. Now if you're telling me you're just doing this to save money, 
and you know we're we're, we're trying to operate with, under the luxury tax. Too fucking bad. Excuse my language, but too too bad. Get your dirty mouth off this podcast. So I, I mean, like you you don't have a like, you're the Yankees. I, I I dealt with it for the past couple of years because you were rebuilding. Yeah. Now you have no prospects. You have no prospects. They've like, traded you, them all for you, different you, assets. You've gotten them. You've given them all away. Most of those trades actually haven't worked out. Yeah. I mean, you, you, the, the Sunny Gray trade, and, and you know you, you give you give up a ton for the White Sox and uh, and and the Blue Jays and everything like that along the way, and for rentals, um, you have nothing left. You have yeah. nothing left. You what have you no, do have though is Miguel Andujar, Labor Torres, and Aaron Giancarlo, Giancarlo Stanton, and Aaron Judge, and um, and and Gary Sanchez. And Stanton's book is very much so not written. I'm talking about more of the guys who just joined the squad. Oh, I'm Aaron just joined, Hicks is another one, and too. Hicks too. Yeah, yeah I mean, really you, good player. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the Yankees. Um, Damn. I'm sorry. But we got to talk about some other stuff, and Duffy's actually in the building. He's just being muted. He's muting himself right now <laughs> as he's not ready to join the conversation. Miss me with that basketball. Yeah, yeah, no, no. This is a, a big fan of basketball podcast here. Um, let's talk about the, the football in New York super quickly. Let's just do like five minutes here. The Giants are playing in, in, insanely better than they did over the first six, seven weeks of the, of the season. They've won three of four. Eli Manning, with some time, is showing he can still make some throws spread the ball around against an absolutely defeated Washington team. I knew I was going to see this freaking take, and it was going to piss me off, and I saw it anyway. Odell doesn't play against the Redskins. Oh, look at the Giants score all these points. Eli's oh, flinging the ball around. Odell's a cancer. He doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. Stupid take. I don't even want to talk about it. I just wanted to say how stupid it was out loud. You know what I think is a bad take? See the DeMarcus Cousins of the NFL? Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. There's John Lucas Duffy. What's up, man? Uh, no, he's not the DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> unless... Unless DeMarcus Cousins is able to help the Warriors this year, <laughs> then maybe he is the DeMarcus Cousins. But you know what I think is a, another crappy take? Um, people minimalizing that win because, oh, it's the Redskins. They have nothing left. You put up 40 points against an NFL team. Oh, that's a win. I'm just saying no, no, I that the Odell portion of no, it is no, stupid. No, for sure. But I've been hearing people say that all the time is, is that, oh, who cares? It was the Redskins. This offensive line is gelling. It's a, it's a, it's a position that requires continuity. Mm-hmm. And – and over the past four weeks, there's been some. The, the offensive line looks good. Doesn't doesn't even look average. Look good. I yeah. mean, your left and, and, side. And so speaking of an NFL team just being hard out, no matter what, the Raiders just beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, and two weeks ago, the Cardinals beat the Green Bay Packers. Dude, what are so the how you doing? How you been? What are the Steelers this year? Are they good? They're a train wreck. They lost the games early. They were horrible. Went on a six-game win streak, and now they've lost freaking horrible losses over the past couple of weeks. Uh, real quick though, can we talk about that giant? What, what the Giants need to do? To That's all I want to talk about. Then we got to get some hoops. So do it. All right. So for the Giants are still mathematically not eliminated, right? They need a bunch of things to break their way, but what I a don't. Bunch. They need one, two, three, four. Break it down. Break it down. Yeah, they need five. So, so prior to this week. Outside of the Giants winning, we needed Dallas to beat Philly, which happened. And we needed Seattle to beat Minnesota, which happened. So now we're still very much in it. We win out. We'll be in it till at least next week, right? Outside of that, we need Carolina to lose two of three. When they're playing New Orleans, Atlanta, and New Orleans again, you should lose twice out of the New Orleans games. Yeah. Say they split with the Saints. There's a chance the Falcons could. And beat Saints them will too. still be playing because they need to get. They're going to be trying to get home field. Of course. Yeah. Philly to lose two of three to the Rams, the Texans, and the Redskins. The they, Rams also fighting for home field. Mm-hmm. Texans on fire, just lost to the Colts, want to come back strong. They they will lose two, those two games. This is the one that, that ner- makes me nervous. Minnesota needs to lose two or three games to Miami, the Lions, or Chicago. Now, they should probably lose Chicago because Chicago will also be playing for home field advantage. Mm-hmm. Miami, are they good? Maybe. Probably not, though. Um 
and Detroit you're, you're going to get a win against. Detroit sucks. So that's the one that worries me. And then Green Bay just needs to lose one against Chicago, the Jets, or, or the Lions. And Green Bay is out of it. Like they're 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 not playing. To, they're not going to make the playoffs. Um, I mean, if the Giants have a chance, the Packers have a chance. But yeah, but they don't. <laughs> but they don't really. I mean, that team is all over the place. I mean, they're not. The the difference between the Giants and the rest of these teams is the Giants are trending upwards, and the other teams are trending downwards. Um, yeah. So that's what gives you life to it. I'm not saying that the Giants are going to make the playoffs, but it's fun that I'm having this conversation in Week 14 after we started out what three and seven. Yeah. No, less than oh, that. No, one, we, we were, were like one, one and of, seven. We were one and seven, exactly. We yeah. were three, three and four. One and six, I think. One and six, because we lost that one game. Right. Yeah. We were one and six, now we're three and four in the last... No, we have five wins now. I don't know. Whatever, Whatever. it is. Doesn't we're matter. five and eight. Doesn't matter. And, and we have, winnable, the point, the we have point, winnable games for the rest the of the game. The point here is twofold. A, the draft pick that we wanted for the top pick is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. There's no more one, two, or three pick coming the Giants' way. Second, what does it mean for a team to go 8-8 eight and eight and get a, a middle-round pick in the first and kind of play semi-meaningful, semi-meaningless football. What it means is a brand-new head coach came out struggling, and the team continued to fight even after trading Eli Apple, after trading Damon, Sna- Snacks Ham- uh, Damon Snacks Harrison, after Landon Collins goes on the IR. And JPP in the beginning of the season. And this team is now a great season, still fighting. This is like, what, their fourth different unit of offensive linemen? And they're still fighting. They're still working to get better. And a new head coach, after starting about as horribly as you can start, the only person who starts worse is Hugh Jackson when he won no games. He has now got this team playing hard, playing like they care, and moving the football, which has been such a struggle for this team. And the defense has played great, too. Well, the defense has been decent all year. But but they've got rid of pieces. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Eric Flowers, Jags haven't won a game since Eric Flowers has been starting right tackle. Feel validated. <laughs> Feel validated. I mean, I mean, I think everybody was validated that Eric Wait, Flowers was no, trash. No, 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 but people outside who, of New York who like who just hear about Giants complaining about that offensive line, right. now, now, it's, now you can see it on another team. He is the worst right tackle to ever play the game of football. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's fun that if the Giants win this game, no matter what, they're still in it for for Week 16. And uh, that's awesome. It is. It's fun that there's going to be games that matter that fans are going to kind of want to go to and support the Giants a little bit. And like one more thing before we, before we move on, I say I say this to you all the time. And I just want to say it for the pod, I don't believe in tanking in football. It, you want to build a culture. You want unless you're getting that first pick and you're fighting between second and first or something like that, like you were saying prior to the to the pod, um, you want to build a culture, especially when you have a first year head coach. You 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 show something that offensive line will now be again together all year next year. That will be a better offensive line than it was this year. You built something. You have a foundation to work with. If they went with the two wins last year, three wins last three year, three wins last year, yeah. potentially hypothetically eight games this year. Maybe you go from 8 to 10 next year or 8 right. to 11 or something and, like and that. You build. Yeah, and in a year where you have a new head coach and that team goes 3 and 13, there's going to be people calling for his job. By doing this, he could secure another year. I think he already has secured another year. Giants won't get rid of him. No, they, they probably wouldn't have anyway just because it's a bad look for outside coaches wanting to come in anyway. Yeah. But he secures another year. He secures some confidence from his players. And like you said... Things can change year over year in football. They very much do. Falcons were a juggernaut the past two years. This year, they're trash. Eagles so won the Super Bowl we, last year. We, they're trash this year. We mentioned how in baseball, you can have a 180 batting average and turn around and hit 300. It happens in football. It happens in baseball. That's sports, baby. Even in basketball now, which we're going to get into. Here's my segue. The, a team like the Utah Jazz, 
which had everybody preseason picking them as a top-four team in the West, can't get out of their own way. The Houston Rockets were moments away from making the finals last year, can't get out of their own way now. So things change very quickly in sports, and we always talk about championship windows or even playoff windows being smaller than you think. Sometimes they open up sooner than you think as well, and by the Giants actually playing real football, this could be open for them sooner than, than later. So it is very good. And also, real one quick on the note on the jet. One quick note on the Jets. Sam Darnold, very nice game. Made some good plays, some good throws, some good reads. There's still things to be happy with for the Jets and Sam Darnold, despite the record being disappointing, and despite Todd Bowles maybe coaching his last games for Gang Green. But I digress on football. I digress on baseball, and I welcome John Lucas Duffy officially into the pod. What's up, Duff? What's up, boys? How we doing? So, dude, Duffy, Duffy, Duffy. We are. Well, I'm actually uh, watching the Rockets. Speaking of them, so yeah, we actually have it on in the background over here too. Um, and what I want to talk to you about quickly um, is our New York basketball team, right? So the New York Knicks have had a little bit of a weird season so far, where there's been ups of them playing to their competition uh, in the good sense and the bad sense. Lose to some bad teams, beat some good teams. The young players are having you know their standard up and downs. Where Kevin Knox scored 26 the other night. Then he shoots a horrible percentage the next night. Mitchell Robinson looks like an awesome pick, and then he fouls out in 12 minutes. Frank Nilakina had some good games early, got the starting job at point guard, lost it, and got multiple DMPs in a row. <laughs> so a lot of things are happening here for the Knicks, but I know you last year were very critical of the Knicks' development or lack thereof. Where do you stand now with this team, with Frank Nilakina now playing two games in a row and playing effectively? Where do you stand on Fizz, the Knicks, and their development? I like it. I like where it's at right now. You're, you know, you're worried about uh, Mitchell Robinson's foul trouble, but you know who else gets in really bad foul trouble all the time? Jaron Jackson Jr. And he is probably the second best rookie in this class right now. So I really wouldn't take that too much into account. Rookies foul all the time, and a they don't get the calls, and b they don't know all the little tricks that all the NBA veterans have. Um, and you know, shifting the lineups yo-yoing Nilakina a little bit, you know, that that might just be a little tough love and it's not going to kill him. And it's, it's just a way of saying, Hey, you weren't doing X, Y, and Z. I'm going to move you back in the rotation or out of the lineup. If you get better at those things, you show me you work hard in practice. I'm going to put you back in. And that's what Fizz did. So it, it's not like he's, you know, basically putting him in Siberia on the bench, get him like all the way down, down the line and not looking at him. He's, He's shifting things around in the lineup, trying to work some stuff out, figure who fits where. Because this this year's a wash, right? Everyone knew that coming in. You don't have to really overreact to everything because I think he's experimenting. It's his first time with uh, with these guys too, and a ton of them. A, a lot of this team is new: Noah Vonley, Dotson, um, uh, Mario Hazonia, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, like all these rookies. Alonzo Trier. So Alonzo Trier, like. There's so many first-year guys on this staff and in the lineup. And the, the roster went through a major overhaul, which it's, uh, it, it's not too much to write home about for me. I, I don't think it's that, all that serious. For you, as a, as a fan of the NBA and not specifically a fan of the New York Knicks, you see this more as standard practice in the NBA for a team that's rebuilding properly. And what happens here in New York, and, and uh, Alec and I were talking about it, in regards to baseball is there is that extra scrutiny. There is that extra, you know, five to 10 media members that don't exist in other stadiums and other arenas. 
so Frank gets a couple DMPs in a row. Nick's Twitter is lighting up. The media is freaking out. They're writing articles, you know, in the New York Post about uh, unnamed scout in the in the East saying that Knox and Neil Aquino are soft and the Knicks are out on them. Clearly, that's not the case. And I, I tried my best on Twitter and on this podcast to to weather those pretty aggressive takes and and strong strong minded people who have such negative feelings uh, 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 about a nineteen year old and a twenty year old. I mean, they're two of the. 20 youngest players in the entire NBA and Kevin Knox and Frank Nilakina. So I, I couldn't agree more with you, Duff, that, that this, this is just what happens uh, to young players. Not many young players are Luka Doncic and come out and score 19 points a game. And, and goddamn, even Trey Young, a, a, a guy who's pretty... He was pretty... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Hype? Con- controversial? What, 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 uh, what's in, in, in Before the draft, you know, some people were like, Trey Young, next Steph Curry. Some people were like, I don't want anything to do with him. Polarizing. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Polarizing. He was a polarizing guy, even though he was a surefire top pick. He's shooting 24% from three-point land. The guy who is supposed to be the best shooter in the draft, um, a a new age point guard who's going to be pulling out from all over the place, 24% from three. Now, if this dude, Trey Young, was in Madison Square Garden shooting 24% from three, it would be on first take every day. It would be a national story kind of like Lonzo Ball was last year for the Lakers. Thankfully, Frank Nielakina doesn't get quite that hype, but within New York, he he still got some hate. Now, where does your faith land for this young man uh, as a future NBA player? Like, what do you see realistically as, you know, his, say, ceiling or his, like, realistic ceiling uh, and, and maybe his floor, too? So what do you see in three years for Frank Nielakina? I see... Maybe Tony Allen light, some something like that. Like to me, his floor is elite perimeter defender, and anything else he gives you is sort of a bonus, right? And he's growing by the second. We talk about it constantly. Um, so he might end up being like, what, what's he now? Like six six? Yeah, I think he's seven foot two now. <laughs> seven foot, yeah, yeah, seven foot six. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so if he if he can get to like, I know this sounds ridiculous that, but these guys come in so young now, right? So. Joel Embiid came in at seven foot one. He's like seven three. Uh, Anthony Davis was six eleven. He'll tell. He'll still tell you he's six eleven. But anyone with this pair of eyeballs will tell you he's at least seven one. Um, so it, if he can get to like six seven and his length, he can guard one through four and maybe even fives and be kind of like that Swiss Army knife on defense if he bulks up. And if you can train him to just shoot spot up threes, he'll be okay. He'll be a valuable asset to your team that you can get on a kind of bargain level contract. I, I don't see why every pick doesn't have to be a home run. Right. And Knicks fans, they, they overreact to everything. No matter who the Knicks draft is going to get booed. Like every time doesn't it, they could draft the second coming of Michael Jordan and everyone be like, nah, fuck that guy. You know, we wanted the second coming of Patrick Ewing. What are you guys doing? <laughs> so, so like it, it's, it's whatever to me, honestly, like don't worry about the hype. Like, you like Knicks fans are just always antsy. Understandably, I'm not trying to really, uh, really say that this you should have more faith. But right now, it seems as though they're moving in the right direction and doing the right things. I mean, turns- at least if, in, in in the sense of what the process is is looking like, how you're supposed to rebuild. If he turns into Andre Roberson, that's an indispensable piece to a team. I mean, you look what happened when Andre Roberson went out last year. Yeah. I mean, Andrew Roberson went out in their defense, which was top-notch in the league. It dropped a couple spots, and their team wasn't quite the same. And the guy who made up for someone like Carmelo Anthony wasn't there anymore. 
Um, now, I do think Frank has, has shown some things that are going to continue to get better, and that's his passing. I mean, the guy has a very good vision. It's just his ability to get into the lane to make the passes and to have the confidence to you know, prove to the defense he's willing to shoot. And you saw in that last game that he played, when he came in the second half and scored a career-high 18 in like 13 minutes, an aggression that did nev- that that never existed for Frank Nielakina before. And you kind of have to give that to Fizz. Whether it's true or not that he got benched and he came out firing because of it, that's all we see. That's what we, on as the outsiders, as NBA outsiders, that's all we know. Am I an honorary outsider? Sure. Dudes got benched. Damian Dotson got benched. Four straight DMPs. Comes out, scores 16, 17, 21, yada, yada, yada. Frank Nielakina gets three straight DMPs, comes out with an aggression and a demeanor that we just we just hadn't seen from him before. A confidence to shoot, a willingness to make plays, and, and maybe it was the medicine that he needed. So I don't want to just say, oh, you know, Fizz, genius, just benched the dude, now he comes out firing. But that's all we have right now. So if this confidence continues to build for Frank, I think the floor then becomes, um, you know, secondary playmaker, guy who can put in 10 points a night, get five assists, and be that defender that you're talking about. Like you said, Duff, not every pick is going to be Luka Doncic. Not every pick is going to be Jason Tatum or Donovan Mitchell. But if you get Christoph a guy... Porzingis. If you get a... Yeah, or Christoph Porzingis, exactly. But if you get a guy who can be a starter, who can be a true, impactful player, who can close games, who can spot up, who can do multiple things on the basketball court, it's a win. And... uh I, I still have oodles of faith in Frank Nilakina to become an impactful NBA player. Uh, but but speaking about guys knowing roles and filling roles, that brings us to the Houston Rockets, who just beat the Portland Trailblazers, but you know, they snapped a three-game losing streak. They're still a couple games under 500, only 12th win on the season. The Carmelo Anthony thing now becomes a little more interesting. You know, they cut him, kind of used him. Well, they didn't cut him. They just removed him from the team. Um he, he became a scapegoat, but Eric Gordon wasn't playing well. Chris Paul wasn't playing well. They lost key pieces in Ariza and in Bamute. In this season, with the way the Western Conference is shaping up tough, there's something to say about players being maybe not great at many things, but being good at what they're good at. And if they're not elite at one thing, they have to be solid in many. So with the way this Western Conference is shaking out, what are you seeing with some of these surprise teams like the Clippers, maybe even like the Nuggets who aren't super surprising, but the way they're being able to win games in today's NBA. So this, this is interesting. I've actually been thinking about something for a while, and maybe there's this type of shift into the dynamics of how you want to build your team um, in the NBA. So the season is longer, not in terms of games, but in terms of days. So, you know, uh, uh, um preseason starts sooner the regular season starts sooner it's a longer time until you get to that all-star break and you're going from basically like the end of august until you know uh april for the average team and then into june if you're you know going into late playoff rounds so how do you people want to build their teams now because you look at a team like the clippers who are 17 and 9 and they don't have any all-stars on their team i mean unless tobias harris is like a coach's pick or something like that, but no all-stars to speak of. Um, but they have tremendous depth. They don't have, they don't suck, right? No guys on their team suck. It's like the Chris Vernon theory of, I just want guys on my team that don't suck. I'm not trying to, you know, look for high variance and, you know, maybe we, Carmel is a perfect example. We take a swing on him, minimum contract, 
and then maybe he does great for us and it's a fantastic investment. It's just Patrick Beverly's and Danilo Gallinari's and Milos Teodosic and Tobias Harris and Marcin Gortat and Lou Williams, guys who are just solid NBA players that belong in the league and can fulfill a specific role. And maybe that's, you know, the great inefficiency that he's talking about. So how, how do you want to build your team in terms of scaling it out for a regular season? It seems like if you just want to be a playoff contender and attract talent, you know, we'll see this summer how it works out for the Clippers, but have that extreme depth and really value every draft pick to find a specific guy in mind. Don't look for just talent. Look for, okay, we want this. We need a three and D guy. Okay. We need a defensive center. We need a game manager, backup point guard. And all that stuff makes me think of the, the Raptors who have Pascal Siakam and they have Fred Van Vliet and they got Abaka hoping he would be better on defense, but you know what? He's extended his range and is more comfortable shooting the three. So he's less efficient in one area, but became more efficient in another. And and it kind of has that yo-yo effect where he's not great at the thing you want him to be great at, but you know what? He got really good at something else and that's still valuable. So what, what do you do if you're a team like the Sixers who lack depth, but your top three are really strong. Like they probably have three top 25 guys in the league. And there's probably only one other team that can say that. And that's the Warriors. So do you want to follow that model where they really don't have a lot of depth either? And we'll see if KD leaves and they can't re-sign DeMarcus Cousins, who do they fill that gap with? You know, people have been mumbling about Kawhi Leonard. That would be really interesting and also extremely unfair. To once the Warriors? Again. What? Kawhi Leonard to the Warriors? Who's saying that? You, you haven't heard anyone talk about that? Hell if no. If KD leaves, I'll have the space. Duffy, get off my podcast. I'm not. I'm not uh, advocating for it. I'm just saying it's a thing that people are talking. No, about. of course. And and you know, I don't think anyone's denying that the Clippers need a star. I don't think anyone's denying that the Raptors haven't been able to get over that hump because their stars weren't quite good enough. We'll see if Kawhi is that guy. But the way this league is shaping up, and I'm I'm also very interested in the Lakers right now too. LeBron James is used to a team, or at least his successful teams. He's used to having other All Stars around him. This is going to be the first time since Cleveland, the first time that he probably, well, he won't. He will not have another all-star on his team. But what he has is guys who play hard defense, who guys who are willing to to make plays offensively, whether they're super efficient or not, like Kyle Kuzma mm-hmm. and uh, Josh Hart and some other ones. But he is... Lonzo. He, and, uh, Lonzo not Brandon well. Ingram. Yeah, Brandon, and he's hurt right now. But LeBron... It, like say say like say uh, LeBron's not on the Lakers, are the Lakers with the route they were going on last year? Are they similar to the Clippers? Are they similar to the Dallas Mavericks and the Sacramento Kings right now, where they are a meddling five hundred team? And that one star, in Le- obviously, we're talking about LeBron James here, but we're talking about a star who's getting them over the hump. So when I'm watching this Lakers team and seeing them creep up the standings in the Western Conference. I'm actually now curious why LeBron James MVP hype hasn't crept back up already. Because they're sixteen and nine, they're reeling off wins, and after a six and six start, that's a damn good second part to the season so far. So yeah, they're only a game and a half behind the Warriors, one back in the loss column, which is which is pretty wild to think about how slow they started and how five hundred they were playing. To, but everyone to started see them slow. Now. So there's only there's it's six games between um, the Rockets and the Warriors, and the Rockets are in second to last place in the conference which is absolutely insane and why I still do think 
when all said and done, a team like the Kings and a team like the Mavericks end up on the outside looking in for the playoffs, and a team like the Rockets will make it in. Uh, another team I want to talk about is the Denver Nuggets. So they've actually caught the injury bug, right? Mm-hmm. Gary Harris is out. Will Barton has been out all season. Paul Millsap is now out for four to six weeks. And it makes me think back to the NBA draft. There are some teams in the NBA draft, like the Phoenix Suns, who have just been taking swings on on high-risk players like Dragon Bender, Alex Len, and... Um, DeAndre Ayton, and, well, high risk. Sure, DeAndre Ayton. Don't at me. <laughs> DeAndre Ayton as well. And the Denver Nuggets, I argued, were the right team to pick someone who you probably forgot about. That's Michael Porter Jr., right? They were the right team to take that risk because they're good enough to not need him, right? But... You're seeing guys in the league like Pascal Siakam, who was a late pick, uh, even a guy like Monty Morris now who's on the Nuggets, who was a late pick, who's starting to bloom. Do you almost think back now that the Nuggets may have, should have gone in another direction here? Because it seems like that guy who got picked 14th, who hasn't suited up for an NBA game yet, could possibly be helping the Denver Nuggets the way some of these other rookies around the league are helping teams right now. Uh, I think if... Gary Harris is healthy and Paul Millsap's healthy and Jamal Murray is not a little banged up and Will Barton, you know, he's taken a lot longer to come back than people expected. Uh, not a lot longer, but a little longer uh, in the sense that we really still don't have a great timetable on it. Um, I think it was a really solid pick because, hey, you know, it's the regular season. We don't need you right now. Take your time. Take care of what we need to take care of. And then we'll ease you into it around February, March and you'll basically become uh, like a buyout acquisition, sort of. If you can get him to learn the system, play hard, and hit spot-up threes, he can basically be like a, like a Gerald Green light, where he you know, can get hot for a quarter and hit like two or three threes and just give you three or four really solid, serviceable minutes. And that's really all you needed from him in the for the Nuggets, right? Like you have Gary Harris, you have Jamal Murray, you have Nikola Jokic. You don't need another big swing superstar. If you can get this guy to just be a serviceable role player, that was all you needed. Um, So I I stand by the pick. And even last year, like this time last year, I still was harping on uh, Michael Porter Jr. to be the number one pick because in high school, he was just so sick. Like the moves this guy would make in, uh, at least from the YouTube clips, right? Um, the moves he would make were NBA ready, where he could shoot. His release was so high, he's six foot ten. He's got a really natural stroke. I, you know, I don't know how great he is at putting the ball on the deck, but as a shooter in in the NBA, like what's more valuable from a role guy than than shooting? You know, maybe perimeter defense, but that's it. It is interesting, and it bring back bring me sorry, there's a little word vomit right there. It bring us back to the Knicks here. Michael Porter Jr. was one of the guys' names who got screamed out when they went for Kevin Knox. And maybe it was uh, from the fan who wasn't quite as versed on this NBA draft and who didn't know what Kevin Knox was all about. And I think most rational Knicks fans are still pretty confident that Kevin Knox is going to be a real player. But a team like the Knicks now, I argue, should not take a swing on a guy like Michael Porter Jr. Because if he ends up being an absolute bust, an injury-prone guy for all of his career, the Knicks just straight up can't afford that. They can't afford missing on a pick like that. But now, you know, maybe a team like the Knicks or a team like the Bulls is a team that deserves to take a swing on on somebody like that. Who who is the right team to take a swing on someone like Michael Porter or a team that take a swing on someone like Thon Maker who no one has uh, real expectations for because you just don't know? 
You talking about picks like ten to twenty? Yeah, ten to twenty. Because that's you know, let's be honest, th- that's where the Nets might end up this year. The Knicks might. End I was going to say the Nets actually. The Knicks might end up back at eight if they continue to kind of progress and David Fizdale continues to coach really hard. I was going to say someone like the Nets, the Kings. Um, I don't know where the Pelicans are going to end up right now if they f- are on the outside looking in. And Anthony you know they're Davis probably going to end up trading wrinkled. Anthony Davis, right. but um, the Heat they need to take a swing because their out their outlook is very bleak. Their cap situation is really tight. Um, Tyler Johnson probably not getting it done for seventeen, eighteen million, whatever he's getting is like. I, I know that's it, it's tough to pick on guys like that, right? It's, it's but low hanging fruit, but yeah, it's there. Exactly, exactly. But that that's more of a shot at. Um, the Miami management rather than the player, right? So he's, you know, he's going to try to get the most money he can get. Get, and... get your bag, son. Yeah, exactly. So someone, so, some like just teetering on the edge there, like the Heat, the Wizards, the Nets, absolutely, because the Wizards are going to look totally different next season than they do right now. That's a fact. So, and they're not going to get a great draft pick because as tough as they look, they're still not going to tank as hard as the Cavs, the Hawks, or the Bulls. Or the Suns, so like, there's no chance of them getting top five. And two more things I want to talk about. You just mentioned the Bulls. We'll get to them in a second. But you know, we mentioned a team like the Heat, who was a playoff team. Many people expect them to be back in the playoffs. And if you just take a look at the NBA standings, it looks it looks awfully weird, right? Like this looks weird. There's some teams like you mentioned the Kings and the Mavs. So you just didn't quite expect to be where they are. Teams like the Rockets, who are struggling. Teams like the Pelicans, who are struggling. Team like the Celtics, who is now back on their horse, it seems, right? They're now fifth. They're 16 and 10. They're on a six game winning streak. Is there a point? And if so, where is the point in the season? Because you mentioned how it starts earlier. Some teams are using the first 10 games as preseason light. What is the point in the season now? Is it Christmas? Is it the new year? Is it the all star break where you fully expect the standings to look normal again, where you don't? expect to see the Clippers maybe in the four seed or you don't expect to see the Pacers without Victor Oladipo still seven games above 500 where does this point exist in the new NBA season new NBA calendar where things are going to start working themselves out kind of like the Celtics have now figured out so actually this is another thing I've been thinking about I have no fucking clue what that point is so you haven't been thinking very effectively I guess huh no no because listen like with the with the NFL, they shortened uh, preseason and they can't uh, you know be as physical in practices and wear pads as much or whatever. Like I'm I'm not NFL guy, but that's what I hear people talking about, right? So September is really kind of a wash. You don't really see what teams are actually like, and you can say that you know the Dolphins started like four and one or something like that. The Texans started zero and three, and then they won nine straight. So weird stuff like that happens. And last year we had a team like the Utah Jazz just absolutely catapult themselves into the playoffs and we and the, had and the, Sixers. the Sixers end the season on like a 16 game winning streak. So, you know, what is that point? I don't know. Cause teams are changing like all the time, all the time, especially late in the season with these buyouts. So if you really time it right and you hit your buyouts, it's so it's such a variable now because people are still talking about like J.R. Smith is still not playing. Uh, Trevor Ariza is like so far gone out of Phoenix. It's ridiculous. He basically so, not is not playing either. A hundred percent. So, you know, what do you do? Like, and everyone in the West is a buyer. I don't know that there's enough to go around. It's it's so strange where 
you know, this is going to be the reality for some of these teams, and they're not going to move. You have to be really aggressive if you want to go for it this season. You got to think long and hard because the the price for Trevor Reza, you're gonna have to pay a king's ransom if they don't buy him out. If they don't move him by the, uh, you you better hope that he doesn't get moved at the trade deadline, um, because if you have to make some sort of move where you're giving up, you're paying through the nose to just try to beat out the the Sixers while you're the Lakers and you all of a sudden you have to give up Josh Hart instead of, right. you know, someone else to get uh, Trevor Reza. Something, something like that is going to happen where these bargaining chips are so valuable for teams at this point. And now, you know, the, the Bucks recently acquired George Hill. Um, yeah, that was, the, that was another thing the I, I was going to talk about. They like in, in terms of depth, they, they added, uh, George Hill and got rid of Matthew Delvadova. Like, that's a huge upgrade because yeah. they're always so long and athletic. And so, I want to think about some other teams here, and I want you to give us um, your top options. So, a team like the Bucks is obviously always going to be on the lookout for ways to upgrade their depth, ways to maybe go two for one to get a better player. What are some of the other teams, and maybe focus on the Western Conference here, that you feel very confidently that this is not their team that there's going to be some move whether it be a buyout whether it be a trade that this roster is just not set in stone is it the rockets is it the lakers like what are the what are the teams that stand out to you that you feel fully confident in will make changes maybe massive to their roster uh i feel like it's not going to be the lakers they they seem to be in no man's land to me like it's really just lebron and a bunch of kids and if you ask me they should have just traded for Kawhi and like really forced the issue and gotten him because they basically knew they were going to get LeBron in the off season. So now you waste a year of having LeBron James as not being a title contender. So there's no Kawhi Leonard. There's no Jimmy Butler. You know, I don't know who they take a swing after. Well, l- let me push back on that for a second. Cause, Cause Trevor reason, Trevor reason doesn't push them over to be a finals contender. Let's, let's push the, I'm push back on that a little bit. Right. So the, the, the Western conference standings one through five right now, and I'm cutting it off there. Cause that's where the Lakers are. It's OKC. At nine games above 500, the Warriors are 10 games above 500. Then you got the Nuggets, Clippers, and Lakers. When it comes to playoff time, what team do you have more faith in than the LeBron led Los Angeles Lakers outside of the Golden State Warriors? Mm. None. There is none. none. There is no yeah, other but, team but, that you have but, more faith in than the LeBron led Lakers. The Oklahoma City that, Thunder. Okay, okay, okay. Like more defense. faith. Come on. Like, what are the odds, though? Like, they have a. St- six percent chance of winning instead of like a two percent chance like that's i mean how how you look at it like it's triple they are three times more likely than any other team in the conference to beat them but they still have essentially no chance so you you would consider that a wash and if there's no player to make a massive overhaul you just stand pat and you wait for the offseason to try to sign one of these guys yeah that's their only move at this point like I, i you hope anthony davis becomes available in the summer and then you you really have to load up and 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 present some kind of package that's going to blow away New Orleans because you still got the Celtics in the East that are just itching to make some kind of three for one for Anthony Davis. Like, and and really they can trump anything that the Lakers have to offer because you know if the, if New Orleans calls up and they just say, I want Jason Tatum and I want someone's draft pick. I don't know. Pick a. They have like four the, this the Kings, this year. So yeah, yeah. maybe two of those. You know who knows. And if you say no, we're going to hang up the phone. What do you do if you're the Celtics? Yeah, like, I don't know. What'd you say? 
Well, the thing is, I, I believe there's a weird little wrinkle in the signing game here for the Celtics and, and Anthony Davis. Yeah, after Kyrie opts out. They need Kyrie then, to opt out yeah. in order to sign Anthony Davis. So obviously, if Anthony Davis gets there during the season, there's a wink-wink between Danny Age and Kyrie. It's like, yo, Kyrie, opt out. We got you. We'll sign AD. Then we sign you. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Right? So mm-hmm. that, that that's not out of the realm of possibilities. So, you know what? The Lakers might be And hard. I think Kyrie would be in on that, for sure. Well, he's not dumb. But the one thing we know, even though he's really weird, Curry's not stupid. Mm-hmm. But with the Warriors, and I hate to even say this out loud because of how goddamn good he's been this season, but the Lakers are an injury away from being with the Warriors head-to-head and being right there. Steph Curry goes down. We know that that team is not quite the same. Yeah, but if he go- you know they take their time with him. They're never going to rush him back. So if he goes down in the regular season again, unless it's like season-ending... They're going to do everything they can to just make sure he's right by middle of May. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. I I just wanted to say that out loud just because it, it, I mean, it happened to the Warriors before in the finals. They lost Draymond for one game. It opened the window and the Cavs jumped on it. Um, Speaking of Steph Curry, though, I just want to read something that I texted to to the NBA Outsiders group chat earlier today to shout out how goddamn good this guy has been uh, so far this season. All right. So effective field goal percentage, Duff, is a... Not truly advanced statistic, but it's more advanced than obviously regular field goal percentage, and maybe not everybody quite understands it. So effective field goal percentage is one of these stats that people really do care about because it not only takes in your field goal percentage for twos and threes, but it weights the shot to see how much it's worth uh, to properly project you know, how efficient a player is, right? So typically this stat is always led by big guys because guys like Rudy Gobert and Clint Capella take 80% of their shots within three feet of the basket. They A lot of dunks, a lot of alley-oops, a lot of easy layups. Effective field goal percentage this year has one guy who's the real giant amongst giants here, and that's the shortest guy on the list. It's Stephen Curry. So right now he has the third best effective field goal percentage in the league at 62%, which is awesome. The only two ahead of him are Gobert and Clint Capella. And basically, the top 10 scorers in the league, none of them have an effective field goal percentage, and this includes Giannis Antetokounmpo and Anthony Davis, two guys who do most of their damage within the painted area and within three feet of the rim. None of those guys, the top 10 scorers in the league per game, have an effective field goal percentage of 58 or higher. They're all under 58. Most of them are in the 54 range. Stephen Curry has a 62% effective field goal percentage led by his insane 50% three-point percentage. If this dude did not already miss uh, maybe, what, nine games? I think he's played 17 out of 28. He's played 60% of their games. If this dude did not get hurt, he would be on pace for his best season ever. And that includes his unanimous MVP, where he was absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Is there anything to the point that we sleep on Stephen Curry at this point, or does everybody and their mother know that he is truly one of the best players in the league right next to LeBron James and Kevin Durant, if not better than Kevin Durant? I think everybody knows. Everybody knows that he is amazing. And it's kind of, you know, the NBA has this uh, short attention attention span where they're always looking for who's up and coming. You know, America loves underdogs and stuff like that. So we know Steph's great and people get a little tired of it the same way 
they get a little tired of LeBron and they want to call him the villain. And honestly, I got sick of watching the Cavs last season. Like I hardly were, watched them. They were I would watch them on national TV and that's just about it. They were disgusting to watch last year. Horrible. What'd you say? They were horrible to watch last year. They were oh, aesthetically yeah. it was just horrible. Not, it's not fun at all. And I really, I don't watch Russell Westbrook anymore because I know what it is. It's going to be triple double and then a first round out or something, something like that. So there's nothing really at the end of the tunnel and you're not really going to see, you know, as great as Steph Curry's playing, you're not going to see, you know, this, the elite, you know, virtue basketball virtuoso that you're going to get in the finals. Like that's really where the warriors always seem to click. And to, to them, this is just kind of a formality, but Steph seems to be having a lot of fun this year. And if he wasn't, hurt those games you're absolutely right he would be probably in the lead for mvp conversation because you know we're always looking to anoint someone new someone like russell westbrook or james harden when you know really any mvp in the last 10 years could have gone to um lebron james just if 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 they felt like giving it to him it would have been absolutely justified at any point right so except last year i think james harden sorry uh, (laughs) Go on. Yeah, or maybe the Kevin Durant year, or you know, like the Derrick the, Rose the year, unanimous obviously. MVP from Curry. Like you knew that was coming. Everyone was just going to reward them for what a great season they had. So, I wish he really was healthy all the time. I would love to. Like he is probably still my favorite player to watch in the entire NBA. So, with that being said, Duff, let's just do this before we say goodbye to the SBNY podcast today. Who is your leader in the clubhouse for MVP? Who's that guy? Who's that dude this year who maybe he has a storyline, maybe he has the stats to back it up, but who is your leader in the clubhouse for the MVP? I think it's uh I think it's Giannis right now because he has the stats. He has a unanimous approval rating. Everybody loves him. Everyone loves Giannis. He's fun. He plays hard. He's a human highlight reel. He's an alien. He's you see him do these outrageous things and no one has been more dominant in the paint since like 99 Shaquille O'Neal. So it's been 20 years since anyone is dunking this often in a league that's taking more threes than ever. And it's really, you know, Mike Budenholzer showed in the preseason, everyone needs to be shooting threes. Everyone, everyone, everyone take threes. If they're open, just take it. I don't care if you make it. Those are the shots we need to take. Those are the shots we need to make other teams game plan for and because of that it opens up the middle for Giannis and I think really that scheme you know if they keep shooting the ball well and keep taking a high volume of threes is something you you extend the court right and you have to guard a bigger area which which opens up the middle for Giannis to just go to work on anyone that's guarding him I mean we saw Blake Griffin one of the strongest guys in the league get absolutely bodied by Giannis and just just dunked on and what do you do? Like he's pushing around Blake Griffin. Like who who can guard him? No one. Only himself. It, <laughs> and that's it's, when it's really like. Let me just throw this out there real Steph, quick because I texted you about it today. Giannis sure. Atetokounmpo is shooting, and I'm not making this up. Eleven percent from three. But it doesn't even matter. It like d- he has absolutely no jump shot, and it doesn't even matter. He's shooting two and a half threes per game, which is small for most players. But for him, it's you know, it's a it's a nice low number. It's it's couple of game. 11% from three, and he's still averaging over 25 points a game and still one of the more efficient players in the game with, with that horrible three-point percentage, which makes me mm-hmm. think that Ben Simmons needs to just fucking chuck up some shots. 
I guess, man. Like, just at least make it. them look at you just when you're make, outside 15 make feet. Make them like, even. It's, it's those pictures are just like, like they're so cringeworthy. Make I can't the defender just look at you. Like that might even help. Exactly. A bit. Like just make him like look at you. Make him use his eyeballs to be aware of you. It's insane. He's like so talented but because he lacks he has this one fatal flaw that really it, it would if he could just shoot from even just in the corner feet just in the corner just shoot the three just in the corner no that's that, it. not even a three if he could shoot from 16 feet he would be every I, bit as good as Giannis. I, i'd rather him shoot 20 percent from three than just start shooting 16 percent or 16 footers by the way but duff i digress for the moment um I got a I got a couple of things I want to mention I, I, real quick I was, before I was, we sign off. I was just going to give you the floor, man. Before we say right, goodbye, great. what Perfect. do you got for us? Anything good? So that Bulls they fired Horberg. They have Jim Boylan now. Um, that was absolutely a coup, right? By Jim Boylan. I don't know. Alec, are you familiar with this story? Uh, tangentially, not really. So Jim Boylan, just to to steal your thunder real quickly, Duff, uh, and then you could take it back. Jim Boylan is the not interim. They announced him as the head coach of the Chicago Bulls after firing Fred. And Hager. there was absolutely no grace period. And no reason to really make him the full-time head coach other than maybe him strong-arming Gar Foreman? Or, like, I don't understand. Or, it, or Paxson and Foreman are just kind of like, okay, we need to put our stamp on this guy real quick and be like, hey, look, see, we have a plan. Please don't fire us. Which, like, that's the only other thing it could be. It was, it was either some kind of coup to get Hoiberg out of there or this is just a Hail Mary by Gar Foreman and John Paxson to say, we're trying to save our jobs here so and buy some time. Basically, what this guy did was he came in on like his first day ever and had they played a horrible game. And the next day, Practice after the double, he made them run back. suicides Yeah, it was a like they were a high school team. And they got blown up by like 50, right? Yeah, it was like 56 to the Celtics. Yeah, it was off. Of that was like some back. Hoosier shit. Like I don't know who the fuck you think you are. That's just like so ridiculous. <laughs> what a joke! All right, Duff, back to you. What else you got on the Bulls? Because they're they're a bigger joke in the league right now. That was it. That that was it. Like that that was just a, a JB Bickerstaff esque move by <laughs> by uh, Jim Boylan. You mean Bickerstaff, the fearless leader of the Memphis Grizzlies, is sixth seed in the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. JB Bickerstaff. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know, um, I know what you're talking about. What else you got? The Phoenix Suns. And DeAndre Ayton, um, I watched the game last night against the Clippers, a game that the Suns could have won uh, had they had even one player who could shoot a three uh, a la Isaiah Cannon, uh, who they waived or released or whatever. Um, Rashawn Holmes plays really hard. You know who doesn't play hard? DeAndre Ayton. And the one thing I saw that he could do really well in that game was run a pick and roll not run it, set a screen on a pick and roll and dive to the basket and really seal off his man in the middle of the paint. That was one thing he did really well. Other than that, he doesn't run hard. He doesn't play good defense. He doesn't rotate well. He doesn't know where to help. He fouls. Like, I really am worried about that guy. Like, but maybe, he's also it, it was being... a game in which they were up 10 with five minutes to go or four minutes and change, something like that. And they ended up blowing it, and Rashawn Holmes fouls out, and I go, oh, that's it. They have absolutely no chance of winning this game. And when I sit here and I tell you that Rashawn Holmes was their win condition for for a basketball game, like, in, in holy the NBA. fucking shit. <laughs> like, granted, Devin Booker's still hurt, 
that's just unbelievable. J- Jamal Mer- uh, Jamal Crawford didn't play in that game either. Yeah, I mean Jamal Crawford, you know, he's not he's not anything anymore. Sorry. They needed someone to get a bucket at the end of that game though, and uh, and no one could do it. Like, granted, this is like a really bad team and all that nonsense. But this is, it, this is a deep any cut given... that anybody who's listening to this podcast probably stopped already. But <laughs> yeah, so it's not even a big deal anyway. And yeah. uh, Igor Kakashkov, or however you say his name, I think that was right. That was, um, that was well done. He has no stuff to run at the end of games to get anyone an open shot. He has he no players play. also. Do you, uh, my last, like, let me say one last thing here. Because... But like the motion they were running didn't make any sense. So like they had, I think the guy's name was Melton. He's like number number 14 yeah, on the Anthony Suns, Melton. whatever. Someone mm-hmm. look up his name. I think it's Melton, whatever. Yeah. Um, he, they, they run some play out of a timeout where there's action on the strong side and the weak side and he's going through his progressions, but the ball never moves. He's just dribbling back and forth. So there's no dribble handoffs to change the dynamic of the play where, okay, we're defending this guy with the ball. Now we defend this guy with the ball. Now we defend, like, so... Essentially, the defense is is operating around this one pivot point for the entire play, which puts your offense at a disadvantage. There were there was like no like like the like the Sixers are really good at this, where there's they, they lead the league in passing and they're constantly changing the focal point for the defense. The Suns didn't run anything that looked remotely functional for an NBA team at this point. It, it was everything turned into a one-on-one breakdown because no one could even get open off action. And that's why you do something like a dribble handoff to it, it's essentially just like an easy pass to make. And and it, it, it subtly, it's like a wrinkle that you throw in there to subtly change some things. But man, like I don't think that guy's got to figure it out either. I think so, that was like another miss on, you, as in terms of a coach. So do you have less faith in Deandre Ayton or his culture that he's currently in? Hmm. And then we, have, uh, then, like, we have, then we have to say goodbye for real. <laughs> the, the fact that I have to think about it is like really bad news for DeAndre Ayton. Um, I'll say if he had someone like a Kendrick Perkins or a Kevin Garnett to really kick his ass and, and get him moving, like a Tyson Chandler, perhaps. Um, he wanted nothing to do with that team. Exactly. So and, like and that's and a really does, bad sign. And neither does Trevor Ariza. So it may be equal parts nervous about DeAndre and equal parts nervous about yeah. the Suns culture. But yeah. it's I, I, I'd lean mostly Suns, but I guess it's a quarter of the way through the season. I'm writing this guy off, but yeah, All I right, really man. just don't like the way he plays. We'll be back on the SMAY podcast. Some good baseball talk earlier, a little Giants football talk in the middle there, followed by some strong NBA stuff with our man John Lucas Duffy. And Alec Argento still hanging out over here, too. Oh, I'm still here, yeah. Hey, buddy. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining today. Thank you so much for listening. Sports Blog New York podcast, NBA Outsiders uh, half edition here. So stay uh, stay tuned for some more content next week. We've got NFL playoffs around the corner, baby. I can't can't wait. And hundred percent, a huge trade is going to happen as soon as we end this. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit post on this episode for Wednesday morning, and within hours, I'm sure that the Real Mudo. A Syndergaard trade is going to happen, and they throw in like Stanton and and Degrom and and Aaron Judge is on the Mets somehow. It's a fourteen. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Bryce Harper gets signed by the Mets. Like uh, something crazy is going to happen, and I'm just going to be like, God damn it! Why, why did we record an episode on Tuesday night? What idiots we are! Anyways, John Lucas Duffy, Alec Argento, I'm Pete Kennedy. Peace. Thanks, guys, for listening.